Bloody Good Film Podcast! Hello and welcome to a podcast about the only two genres of film that matter. Action and horror! I'm your host, Jesse. With me as always, my cane bro, Josh. This is the Bloody Good Film Podcast. And today is a day that I've been very, very excited for. Probably my most anticipated movie. The Mortal Kombat reboot from 2021. And to pair it, we gotta stick with martial arts. And who better to pair a movie with Mortal Kombat than Bruce Lee? Exactly. Like a lot of the Mortal Kombat mythos say that they're more inspired by uh, Bloodsport, but you watch Enter the Dragon and it is definitely pre-Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat, way more so than Bloodsport ever was. Well, and just like if you follow the basic plot, the basic plot of Enter the Dragon is almost the exact plot of Mortal Kombat. So you could tell they borrowed heavily from the original one. Oh yeah, the only thing they added was superpowers and soul sucking. Oh yeah, in another world, because this does take place entirely on Earth. But it's its own special island, so it's its own secret part of Earth. (laughs) Oh yeah, but we don't want to go too far into that yet. We haven't even given people a synopsis. Nobody's seen this 1973 obscure movie before, (laughs) I'm sure. Okay, so... Enter the Dragon was Bruce Lee's first and unfortunately only finished American film before his untimely death. In it, he plays a martial artist sent undercover by the British government to infiltrate Han, a suspected drug lord and sex trafficker holding a martial arts tournament on his mysterious island. This might be one of the best movies we've ever done on this podcast, like just from a pure film standpoint. Oh yeah, for sure. This is like the blueprint for like all action. I know there were action movies before, but this was monumental in the buildup of real action sequences. China was doing better than us on action sequences, but Bruce Lee mainstreamed it. Before that, we had James Bond and Captain Kirk doing the double fist over the head hit that looks like they're just like patting people on the back with. This shows some real fucking intensity in the hits. I love that you bring up the double fist over the head because that's such like a pre-action movie action move. And it's super lame. Like there's no athleticism to it. It was usually just like a knee to the gut and then just a two-handed over the top. And it never looked brutal. Like it's never looked like, oh man, that does so much damage. Well, two fists obviously got to be stronger than one fist. Although when you make that motion and you try to bring it down on it, it actually hinders it. One fist would hurt more than the two fists hit on the back. Honestly... You don't even hit anybody with like the knuckle or anything. You're hitting them with like the bottom of your hand. And it's almost just like a massage. This is what massage therapists do to get you good. And Kirk's using that on lizard people. James Bond is using that on chubby German villains. And apparently that's all it takes to be a tough guy back then. 
<laughs> you only need one move. That's before everyone knew some form of martial arts. Well, there was a lot more hug fighting back then. Like, they'd get up real close, they'd hug each other, and then there'd be, like, a gun in between them so it didn't look like they were just dancing. But then this came along, and even the women fight well in this. I'm not saying women can't fight well, but, like, that's progressive for back then because you have bruce lee's sister in this who only has one kind of tragic scene in it but like for the majority of her sequence she's kicking ass she looks terrified the entire time but she's kicking ass she does she looks super scared because she's getting chased by like this group of 20 guys and she's not very fast but as soon as they get close she can throw like spin kicks in an instant so she goes from walking really slow to just turning and absolutely spin kicking people Honestly, it reminds me so much of Upgrade where like she almost looks surprised that she's throwing these moves that are kicking people's asses. She very much had the Logan Marshall Green look on her face of my fist just did that. My leg just kicked that person in the balls. I didn't see that coming, but she's selling it pretty well. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it's it's pretty early on because she's just one after the other. Like Bruce Lee in this movie is typical Bruce Lee. This is one of the ones where he's taken on multiple people at once which is kind of really where he shines. And she does kind of the same thing playing his sister where she's taking on, you know, multiple people. They're coming after her. She's kicking one person, backfisting someone else, and then tripping a third guy and then running away a little bit more. Like the whole scene is just so fluid and good. The only weird issue is the scene almost seems superfluous to the movie. Like it doesn't really add all that much. He had already been recruited. He was doing his martial arts thing at the beginning. And there's a bunch of philosophical talk, which seemed like nonsense to me, but apparently that was important to Bruce Lee. So I'm not going to try to knock it too much, <laughs> but there is an opponent. There is definitely an eye that exists. All that stuff was nonsense, but he's been recruited by the most British guy ever <laughs> to go infiltrate Hansa. He's so British. Like every single scene, he has some tea. He has like little tiny monocles and he's so respectable. We need Richard for this. <laughs> and, like all this stuff is just so uptight. And like it took James Bond and nerded the hell out of like even the nerdiest character that's in there. And that's our British representative. Who can't even give him like backup for his things like this, this is completely a non-confrontation. They're just here to gather information and they'll make a phone call. And he can't even make the fucking phone call on time later on. <laughs> He's asleep when the message comes in. No big deal. And what is his job? Like if he can't actually send people out to help him, he's just setting it up and then someone else can deal with it. I want that job. Yeah, he sends Bruce Lee to go infiltrate the guy named Han. They had to have originally named Han hand and then they realized that was giving too much away so they wanted to be a little subtle so they <laughs> dropped the d because he's missing a hand just in case people didn't know that but like they have him infiltrate hands island he can't give him any backup but he wants him to call him and then the british dude will call reinforcements later and like when bruce lee needs reinforcements he's too busy making tea in his bed like it looks like he's going to bed but he's still getting his tea just before bed because that's all british people can do <laughs> it just seems like such a poorly thought out plan like he sends bruce lee in with no backup no weapons nothing and says hey i need you to get in there and find a way to let us know what's going on does it give him any other information other than you're gonna have to find a place where you can tell us what's going on and then i'll tell someone else and then maybe they can do something about it 
He's not really a spy. He's just a martial artist. And they decide that that's close enough to a spy. And <laughs> he sends him in. And then while they're on the ferry getting into their Mortal Kombat boat, uh, the three lead characters have their individual flashbacks. And then Bruce Lee flashbacks to like the day before when uh, he was talking to his dad who was happy he was going to Han's tournament. And then his dad has a flashback within Bruce Lee's flashback. <laughs> about his daughter and Bruce Lee's sister dying at the hands of Hans Man. Well, she didn't die by the hands of Hans Man. She committed suicide when she realized that she was stuck in a corner. So you get double flashbacks. And the weirdest thing about the father's flashback within Bruce Lee's flashback is the father gets his ass kicked in two seconds. The rest of the flashback <laughs> is on uh, his sister, who uh, is nowhere near her father for the rest of the action sequence. Yeah, he would have never been able to know what was going on because he had already got kicked in the face four times in two seconds and was just laying there. Like in reality, she could have just ran 10 feet and just like fallen on some glass and then the father just made like a glorified story. Han might be completely innocent of what happened to her. You would (laughs) never know. I do like Han as the main bad guy. I think he checks all the boxes as far as main bad guy goes. He kind of talks in like that long kind of slow pace that all the good bad guys talk he's got animals running around there's women all over him he just seems like a perfect archetype for a bad guy i mean you praise his talking but uh what we heard wasn't the real actors talking (laughs) apparently his accent was so thick that he had to be overdubbed (laughs) it does work honestly i just attributed it to like bad 80s audio or 70s audio i didn't realize that he was overdubbed so like his mouth movements must have been close enough (laughs) yeah it's funny because you can tell certain parts of the movie where the dubs come in and other parts of the movie where they're just kind of letting it flow And there's kind of some discrepancy between the two if you're like really paying attention because even some of the characters like some of their English is fine. And then in other scenes, it's obviously dubbed over. Okay, we got to talk about some of the other characters in this. We also got John Saxon of Nightmare on Elm Street fame coming in this. He's like the most Johnny Cage-like character of the movie for me, but he's awesome. Like, I had only known him from Nightmare on Elm Street, and I didn't know... He's actually a black belt. He actually knows how to do his action sequences. I saw the kind of oldish uh, Alan Alda-looking actor coming in here. I'm like, he's not going to be able to hold his own, but he does pretty well in the action sequences. I was surprised because I I didn't think he had that in him. I thought he was going to be our, you know, traditional white actor that's just going to kind of work his way around it, but never really step into the martial arts and do anything. But surprisingly, his martial arts in the movie is really good. I thought the first time I saw this, he was going to be like the white guys in Godzilla and just hold up a map explaining why (laughs) Bruce Lee is kicking ass. Cut into a news segment where he's there telling everyone that Bruce Lee's scream kicking people in the face. Bruce Lee has a giant-sized brain, while uh, Han has the size of a grape. (laughs) But the one problem I'll have with John Saxon, I don't think this was his fault. When they're given the starring, they gave Bruce Lee and John Saxon in the same screen. No, it's Bruce Lee gets his own single billing. White people do not need somebody up there just because... (laughs) (laughs) We talked about how progressive this movie was for the time, you know, just with the female action, you know, early on. But we also have Jim Kelly in it. Jim Kelly's so badass in this. He's great, dude. And as far as African-American martial artists go, like he's the first mainstream African-American martial artist. And he does great. Like his one-liners are awesome. 
Well, they, they mentioned in the commentary that they knew he was a great martial artist. They had no idea about his acting ability when he was hired for this. And he does both well. Although his introduction is still timely today, because when they're on the boats, they're all having their flashbacks. John Saxon has a golfing flashback, which is a typical of a white person. But then you get Jim Kelly's, and like he's getting harassed by the police. This is 1973, and he's still getting bothered for just walking the streets at night. Yeah, the more things change, the more they stay the same. His afro's badass. Like, the afro and the cyber, he, he makes that fucking work. His suits are kind of like almost Austin Powers-ish, I hate to say. <laughs> but he, he pulls it off better than Mike Myers did. <laughs> no, his afro's great. Have you ever seen any of his other movies? Like, have you ever seen Black Samurai or anything? No, I looked it up, and uh, we got to add that onto the schedule because he's awesome, and he does not get enough screen time in this. Like he gets like forty, fifty minutes of this, which is like half the movie. But he's an actor that definitely seems like he deserves more than half a movie. Right, and in that time, like he only gets really one fight scene, so he gets like one and a half fight scenes. He gets the one where he just absolutely dominates that guy, and then he gets a bedroom scene where he's making the sweet sweet loving to all the women that hans bringing around okay yeah hans is known for sex trafficking the blonde lady that john saxon ends up hooking up with is bringing prostitutes to each of the rooms and this is where jim kelly gets into questionable territory because (laughs) we know that he's doing sex trafficking we don't know if any of these women that they're walking around with are there of their own volition. I mean, some sex workers do enjoy the job and there's nothing wrong with that, but these might be like people that were drugged and introduced into sex trafficking. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to take that one. I'm going to take that one. And he gets four of them. Like one of them could have taken a night off from sex trafficking. And he just made sure that he got as many as possible. Like first time I watched it, like badass. And then this time I was watching it, like, (laughs) that might be problematic (laughs) and i like that he apologizes to the rest of the women like sorry ladies i'm a little tired (laughs) (laughs) exactly like four women is you're doing it like that's him on a poor night he does have my favorite line in the whole movie when han thinks that he is the guy that's been stooping around and trying to figure out what's going on on the island of course the black guy gets blamed for it (laughs) Right, Bruce Lee's running around in his spy outfit and can't be seen, but Williams just gets blamed for it just for being there because he wanted to wanted to see the moonlight, as he says. That doesn't look like he's hiding. He's like waves at the guards, and the guards like that was an aggressive wave. Like he almost got <laughs> shot right there. <laughs> but he gets there and he's talking to Han, and Han's talking about how bad his style is and how his martial arts has no honor. You know, some nonsense. You know how these movies talk. And then Williams goes, I'll be too busy looking good. And and then he comes in with a bunch of people and he gets, he gets killed off screen, right? Like his reveal is for John Saxon. Right. Yeah. He doesn't die, but he gets like 35 karate chops off screen. And you just hear like the karate chop after karate chop. And you can kind of hear like the blood splatter. Like even now watching it, it's, it's a pretty brutal scene, especially for back then. This does the exact opposite of what Ong Bak did in that the sound effects, every, every single hit, like they, they bump into a table and it sounds like two by fours getting slammed against a wall. It's so fucking loud. I love that kind of shit. This is what I love about uh, older martial arts movies. They're not going for realism. They're going for impact. And it brings me into it more. I know that's not what it sounds like when people are getting hit, but I love these over the top sound effects. 
And it just works so perfectly anytime Bruce Lee is on the screen. Because then you have like the overdramatic, you know, sound effects when people are getting hit. And then you have his woos and like his intense shaking. And the camera does such a good job at like zooming in on him. Like after he knocks someone out and he's just like shaking, staring him down. It's just such pinnacle martial arts. There are a couple times I'm guessing people got sick of getting hit by Bruce Lee because he's going in with full intensity in these action sequences, and I don't think he's pulling away all the time. <laughs> I actually know was this a movie that Jackie Chan was like an extra in and got his ass kicked, and Bruce Lee was like kind of nice to him or something. I think it was this movie. Although I tried looking for Jackie Chan and I didn't see him, <laughs> but because people got sick of getting hit, they'd have like it, it looks like wooden stand-ins for people or like doll stand-ins for people that they're like held up in front of the camera so you can't like get a good fix on them and bruce lee just like smacks them down but you, the way they fall that's not a person that is like an <laughs> object that he just hit down so fucking hard it makes me laugh but it's just like ridiculous and then uh, ha, uh oh before we go back on to han we got to go on to bolo young who Oh, I forgot to write down, he had a different name for his credits for this, and then he took on Bolo Young for his actually acting name that you see, you see him in in uh, Bloodsport, and I think he was in Double Impact as well with John claude Van Damme. Yep. is so good at this movie. He doesn't really say much or anything. I can't remember him actually saying anything. He doesn't say anything at all. He doesn't really say all that much in Bloodsport either, but he has like the weirdest build of anybody I've ever seen. I have never seen... Like his pictorials are almost tittorials with being still buff. Like they're the <laughs> biggest tits I've ever seen on a man that's still in good shape. And it's funny because he's not a big guy. Like he's jacked and like super muscular and there's muscles on top of his muscles, but he's only like five, five or something like that. So it's just like the combination of being that short and that jacked is just such a funny combination, but I love him so much. Like he's so intimidating. He has attitude. He doesn't even need to say much. But he goes up against John Saxon and Bruce Lee towards the end when they've discovered that Bruce Lee's a spy and that they killed Jim Kelly for no fucking reason. It's a pretty damn good fight. Like, they needed two people to go up against Bolo Young because he's an intense figure. One, I love when Han's showing off what he can do, and he gives him, like, these three or four guys to fight that have no business fighting anyone at that tournament. And he folds one dude like an accordion. Like he just grabs his leg on one side and his like back on the other side and just snaps him in half. Okay, the sound effects sold that, but all that he did was put him in a sitting position. <laughs> he I'm like, I hold my baby. <laughs> I guess you're cracking your baby's spine. <laughs> if your baby can't walk, it's because you bolo younger. <laughs> Honestly, like, I understand that he couldn't really break people's spines, but that position that he left that guy in, like, that's comfortable. He's just getting cradled in his muscles. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't don't sell it like he's an evil guy. He's just hugging real hard. Have you ever seen Tiger Claws? An actual Tiger's Claws or, like, a donut? <laughs> oh, that's a bear claw. It's a bear claw, first of all, which is also in this movie. There's a bear claw in this movie. I don't like donuts. I don't know my shit. No, I have not seen Tarkos. Isn't that a Jackie Chan movie? No, it's this like super cheesy kind of future kick-esque movie where Bolo Young plays like a serial killer that's killing like martial arts masters. And they have like these two like super cheesy cops that are uh, trying to track him down. We'll have to add it to the podcast. It's awesome. Oh, I was gonna say Jim Kelly and Bolo Young. We need to get some stuff with them starring in it. Yeah, well, we're definitely gonna do uh, some couple Bolo Young movies just by association. 
Well, yeah, but starring. I mean, Bully Young was the villain in Bloodsport, but he was the star. He was the most memorable part of it, but he wasn't the star. He was also in Blood Fight. I don't know if you ever saw Blood Fight. <laughs> Wait, so we got Bloodsport, Blood Fist with uh, Don the Dragon Wilson, and now we got to add Blood Fight to the mix. And they're all pretty much the same storyline. I'm pretty sure Blood Fight came out like right after uh, Bloodsport. I have not seen it, but I'm down. I love tournament movies. Like, you can get me into that kind of shit. It's almost like, I hate musicals, but I like movies where people are, like, singing in concert sometimes. Like, that can be cool. Like, I like the Queen autobiography, even though, like, the whole movie was kind of, like, bullshit. But, like, I love the musical parts of it because it made sense in that world. But I hate musicals where people are just, like, singing while they're going to take a dump. (laughs) Tournament movies are like that for martial arts. Like, nobody's breaking into the kind of fights that we see in movies in just, like, everyday situation. But martial arts puts it in a stadium that makes sense. Right. So before we start talking about Bruce Lee again, because we've talked about everything but Bruce Lee in this movie. Is this your favorite Bruce Lee movie? Oh, by far. It's definitely the most accessible of his movies because so many of his movies like Big Boss. I like Big Boss, but like he starts out trying to be a pacifist and then he'll turn into the action star later on. I hate going through the pacifist phase. This movie doesn't have the pacifist phase, so it makes it so much more accessible and more entertaining. Yeah, and as far as just like a well-put-together movie, like this actually is a movie start to finish. It doesn't have to be carried by Bruce Lee's martial arts ability, even though it really was. Since we're talking about it, I don't know if we're ever going to do it on the podcast. I'm sure we will at one point. How do you feel about Game of Death? Because it's a super controversial, kind of how they went about it type of movie. I have Game of Death 1 and 2 in my collection. We're going to do a double feature on those. But those are a fucking mess. Game of Death 2 never should have happened. Game of Death... Should have been done better. Keep the real funeral out of there. It, but uh, I, the the last fifteen minutes make up for everything else that happened in that movie. So like, as troublesome as that movie is, it has to exist for those last fifteen minutes. And those last fifteen minutes gave us the yellow jumpsuit that was like homaged in Kill Bill. Like that movie needed to exist, even with all the problems involved with it. I just want to know who was in the pitch meeting and said, "Hey, we have all this footage that we need to use." You know what we also have footage of? We have footage of his actual funeral. You think anyone will mind if we put that in? Like, what a disrespect to just an absolute legend. It is, but it also has, like, the funniest sequence in a movie ever when the actor who isn't Bruce Lee looks in the mirror and then they just have, like, a cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee's head (laughs) in the mirror and he's trying to line up with it. I both hate and love that movie. Yeah, okay. That's kind of where I am on it, too, so I look forward to doing him, even if we have to watch the second one. That's the only movie that I got in my Bruce Lee box set that I have not watched yet, is the, is, uh, the, enter the, not enter the, uh, <laughs> what movie are we talking <laughs> Game of Death 2. <laughs> but, okay, Bruce Lee in this movie, no fucking problem. Like, his acting's great, he's intense as hell in everything. Everything he does. Every hit, he sounds like he powers up and winds down. And you get it with his. <laughs> like, it's so damn good. Once his voice starts modulating higher, you know you're about ready to get hit. And when it starts <laughs> going lower, you know that he just hit somebody. But it's always kind of going. It's like a lawnmower on it. Getting... Why did I go for a lawnmower? It's like a, it's like a convert. It's like a Camaro getting revved up. 
<laughs> there you go. That's a little bit more intimidating than a lawnmower. Let's pretend I know something about cars. <laughs> Man, Bruce Lee's hitting like a real John Deere out there. Man, he could cut those blades of gla- glass. Cut those blades of grass. So damn good. I almost did the same thing twice. <laughs> so the pinnacle of Bruce Lee in this movie is when he's like in the underground layer portion of the island. They finally discover him. Okay, wait, no. Before I go to that, Bruce Lee steals a snake from the garden that's just randomly hanging out. Apparently they have just venomous pythons or vipers. I don't know, snakes at all. And he just grabs it and puts it in a bag. The first time I saw this, I was like, why is he just taking a snake from the garden? Wait, I didn't think that was just a garden snake. I thought that was a garden snake because uh, it was over the hole that he found that led him into the underground thing. So I thought like they had noticed somebody had been in there and they're like, let's put a snake on there. And that's all that they fucking needed for security. It was a security snake. (laughs) I mean, if that's the case, that's a brilliant idea. I had that in my notes. Like, that was what I thought it was. I made sure to highlight in yellow that pun of a gardening <laughs> snake. I see I see what she did. No, I just honestly thought it was a snake that was just squirting along and then uh, just popped up there. And that's where he stayed. And Bruce no, no. was like, oh, I'm going to need this for later. In China, they, this isn't in China. This is in an island by a Chinese guy. They don't need high-tech security systems. All they need are fucking cobras. Well, and then Bruce Lee's like sneaking around the underground layer. And when he decides he needs to call the, our British guy who does absolutely nothing, he sees the security room where he does it. At that point, he's already knocked out like 15 other guards. Why wouldn't he just walk in and just knock those two guards out? Bruce Lee style. Instead, he like barely opens the door, chucks the snake in there. And the guy that's sitting at the desk sees the snake throws his chair through the window and just suicide dives out the window to get away from the snake. Like what an overreaction. And honestly, like he opened the door for the snake and then threw it in. So I don't know if they thought like maybe a snake opened up the door and slithered in here, (laughs) but then they jump out the window and the alarm still goes off. So him doing this was had nothing to do with his stealth. Like it seems like it would have been easier to open the door real fast, kick two people in the head before they hit the alarm. Exactly, and then he could have sent that to the British guys, and the British guys could have gotten there before a war broke out on the fucking island. (laughs) And then the alarm's going off, and that's when Bruce Lee really just, like, goes full Bruce Lee in the movie. It's really the highlight of this film, is it's just Bruce Lee fighting bad guy after bad guy after bad guy with his fist, his feet, and then he gets weapons, which, you know, anytime somebody gets weapons in a martial arts movie, I start freaking out. And, like, he upgrades from every single guy that he beats up. But my favorite thing is, is the nunchucks. Like, I'm pretty sure Ninja Turtles was parodying this with Michelangelo when they start having the nunchuck off. But he does, like, a whole exhibition (laughs) with the nunchucks before he just starts kicking some ass. I wish he would have had him and just been like, ah, a fellow chucker. And then start doing the the nunchuck off. It's fantastic. Like, he's so good with all this shit. And finally, he's kicked all those asses. I'm pretty sure Jackie Chan was among one of those asses. (laughs) It's too quick. And this is the only big critique I'll say. And it's probably a limitation of the time. The camera can't always keep up with the action. Probably because of the way they had their rigged. So, like, you're seeing Bruce Lee 
in action. The camera stays focused on him, but sometimes it misses where the blow's landing. And I don't blame that on Bruce Lee. I know he had the skill. And I don't even blame the cameraman because at the time, it was harder to move this shit around. He was too good of a martial artist for the technology that we had at the time. Yeah, exactly. It's still an awesome scene. I'm not putting it down at all. I love this movie. And that's really where this movie breaks out. I just would have loved to have seen him get a little bit further in age than I think he was 27 when he died. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see him get a little bit further in age and get to a point where cameras could really capture the shit that he was doing because uh, this movie as fantastic as it is, it could have been one of his lesser movies if he had had a chance to really show off his shit. You know, the thing about these earlier movies is it's before slow motion. So, like, you really get how quickly Bruce Lee's moving. Because now, even, like, when we were watching Ong Bok, there's a lot of slowed down, a lot of slow motion shots, a lot of, like, replayed shots of the same thing. And this is just kind of those, like, clean, one-take, fast motion, where you just truly appreciate, like, how amazing of a martial artist that Bruce Lee was. Well, the speed is something like they also slow down martial artists today on. I don't think they bothered with Bruce Lee. I I didn't get as far into the commentary as I would have liked because the people were kind of really dry. So I don't. I never heard anything about them asking them to slow down. But if you go to Jet Li for an example of a more modern right. martial artist, they've told him to slow down because he's too fast for the cameras to pick up. And Bruce might have had that same problem because you don't always see the full flow of his actions. People are just suddenly hit. <laughs> and then they cut back to him once he's done like when he's revving down preparing for the next kick that is what worked because his audio sold his kicks like it was in sync with when the blow landed so you didn't always see it but his screech was going off and you could hear the hit as it was happening so in the fight where bruce lee whose character's name is lee so they you know cut some corners there um I'll bet that was the American gut thing. I'll bet in uh, China it was probably like Himroshir Ragoa. Is that what it was? I think so. <laughs> he gets to fight the guy that, well, I don't even want to say killed his sister because his sister killed herself. Led to her killing herself. He, right. he was there. He kind of forced it. Yeah. They're like squaring up, doing the thing that they do to start the tournament. And Bruce Lee hits him three times. Like instantly after they square up and the guy doesn't even know what happened. Like it's it's amazing because they square up. Bruce Lee throws the quickest punch I've ever seen and everyone starts cheering and then they go back to the same position and he does it two more times. Like it's amazing. Yeah, a lot of movies, they, they might like make it look like the lead is at least taking on some damage. But you look at Bruce Lee, you're not going to believe that he's slower than this white guy. So of <laughs> course, Bruce Lee comes in kicking ass the entire time and making O'Hara look like a little dick. <laughs> like Bruce Lee hardly gets touched the whole movie. Like he doesn't get touched until he runs into you, Captain Hook, uh, Han, when he puts his bear claw on his hand. Why do you call him Captain Hook when he clearly is Han related? Like he has a bunch of different hand attachments. <laughs> There's nothing to hook about him. He got he has digits on all of them. No, you mean to tell me that there's not one hook, that he doesn't have a special one just for a hook. We didn't see it, but you know he has it. I don't you don't lose he... a hand and not have a hook. His name is Han, so uh, he definitely does not have a hook. He's not going to go that way. He wants a bunch of uh, claws that apparently only scratch. They don't ever dig in deep because he hit Bruce Lee three times in the final battle, and all he has is a bunch of scratches on him, like... They're not even deep cuts. Like, that's one thing I noticed this time around is, like, 
he has like the little bear claw in the beginning. And I was like, okay, that scratch is pretty relevant to the size of the bear claw. But after he loses the bear claw, he gets like a full on Wolverine set. Exactly. And he slashes them like four times, but they're just like paper cuts almost. Literally, they're not deep. They're not like gushing blood or anything like that. They're just red. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they'd be itchy after like a day, but when he gets them, it's fine. <laughs> or maybe Bruce Lee's body is just that tough. Maybe. Maybe if he had used that on the guy that Bruce Lee fought in the first couple minutes of the movie, if he got that guy, it would have just been like his goo just flowing out of it. <laughs> that guy looked like me after 12 beers. Like, he was not in the best of shapes to be going up against Bruce Lee. <laughs> There's a couple guys in this movie that were very outmatched for whoever they were fighting. Exactly. Uh, is there anything else that we're missing on this, or have we covered everything that's of importance? I think we've covered pretty much everything of importance. I can't think of anything else. All right, then. Was Enter the Dragon a bloody good film? Oh, of course. This is one of the best martial arts films of all time. You know, when I'm ranking martial arts films, it's definitely in my top five. It's pinnacle bruce lee like this is when i think bruce lee this is what i think of you know we talked about the yellow jumpsuit and i know that's a very iconic few minutes with him but when i think bruce lee this is what i think bruce lee is to me i mean the speed that he moves like the number of people that he just goes through time after time the different weapons the story's actually surprisingly good it flows pretty well i like han you know i like all of our other characters that are on the island with bruce lee like i really don't have too many problems with this movie at all it's one of those movies that i watch you know all the time i really really love this movie it might be my favorite movie that we've done so far on the podcast so yeah 100 a bloody amazing film i think i mostly agree with you there's violence i'm looking at some ass and boobs right now because i got it played on in the background that's always cool jim kelly is awesome i want to see more of his stuff i want to see if we can find john saxon doing more action roles because i mostly know him for horror roles but he's so cool in this. And then, of course, I agree. This is Bruce Lee's best movie. I feel like there were more great movies in him. If Game of Death got to be its actual, fully envisioned film, that probably would have been the movie that topped this. But there's so much garbage around that movie. Han's a, a good villain. The characters are good. The story is, is implausible, but it's awesome regardless. Like He's using a martial arts tournament to recruit people into his drug and sex trafficking thing, and that somehow makes sense, I guess. But I don't go into <laughs> these movies for realism. I go into them for entertainment, and this movie is full-on entertaining. Definitely, I'll agree with you, it's one of the best martial arts movies. And from what we've watched, which my memory is terrible already, I think I might agree with you that this is the best movie that we've done, unless there's something really awesome I'm forgetting. Did we ever do Citizen Kane? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think it's one of the lost okay, episodes. Okay, if, if we didn't do Citizen Kane, this is the best movie that we've done on the podcast. I think it's definitely between this and the original King Kong. Oh yeah, definitely. The older shit holds up for a reason. Right, exactly. All right, and now we're going into our main event. We're going into the new 2021 Mortal Kombat film. Round two. Mortal Kombat is a video game movie, unfortunately not starring a video game character. Instead, we are treated to call... A washed up fighter with a dragon marking, chosen to fight in a Mortal Kombat tournament for the fate of the world. 
before a tournament can begin, Shang Tsung sends his men to stop those with the dragon marking from even competing in the tournament. That made it sound more epic than it is, because I'm not saying this is bad, but Cole fucking sucks. That's literally the first note I have, and I don't ever write in all caps. I have that in all caps, and it literally reads, Cole Young is garbage. Like, they started him up, our introduction to Cole, and we're going to circle back a little further back, because it does start out before them, with where they blew their load with the best scene in the entire movie. But before <laughs> that, I just want to talk about how much Cole sucks. Our introduction to him is him getting his ass kicked. And that's not what I wanted in a Mortal Kombat movie. We had Liu Kang by Robin Shao in the first Mortal Kombat movie. And he was badass through and through from scene one to the very end. And that's what I expect in Mortal Kombat. Well, and it gets even worse for Cole Young down the road because he gets his special power. Arcana. His Akana. And his Akana is he gets power from being beat up. Like, that's not cool. Okay, before we go into that part, I want to explain Arcana to people that we're giving spoilers on this in case you didn't know we're a spoiler podcast. For people that didn't watch the movie, Arcana, it's the dragon marking, it's their explanation for why they're chosen for the tournament, and it's also their explanation for why they can do superpower shit. And a lot of it seems to be related to character motivations. It doesn't entirely make sense the entire time because uh, Cole. It was introduced after, before he got his ass kicked in our introduction to him uh, that uh, he doesn't block, so he doesn't know how to do any defense. So his arcana comes out defensive in the form of the shitty sweater that can take impact. <laughs> Kano gets his eyes clawed, and because he got his eyes clawed, he gets laser vision. And then uh, Jax gets his arms ripped off, so he gets shitty metallic arms, and he gets better metallic arms later on. Uh, Sub-Zero's cold-hearted, so I guess he's able to do cold shit. Nice. And then Kung Lao, I'm guessing, has a bald spot, so he got a metal hat that he could cover it with. And Liu Kang, I'm guessing, they didn't explain this, it burned when he peed and he learned how to harness that power. But, like, (laughs) only some of those made sense. Other ones is like, the fire doesn't really mean anything, the hat doesn't really mean anything, but some of these characters, they tied it into something that had happened in the movie. I appreciate them giving it a shot to try to explain why these people had powers. Um, I appreciate them giving it an effort, but it's not something I need. It's not something that's, you know, part of the original lore. I mean, it's not something necessary to the story. Like, you could have just said, these are the chosen ones, that's why they have powers, and I would have went with it. Okay, again, the chosen one thing, there were some issues with that for me in this movie. I would have been fine if these actually were legit chosen ones the only one that can kind of say that is cole because he was born with the birthmark but the way everybody else got the birthmark that gives them their arcana is they killed somebody that originally had the mark and then the mark appeared on them that seems sloppy what happens if like (laughs) tim allen shoots them on their roof and then tim allen suddenly uh has the arcana (laughs) i guess that could be problematic Yeah, it could have been like an accident. A bus driver hits somebody and suddenly he has the Arcana. It doesn't make any sense. They're not actually chosen. It's like happenstance in this realm. And I don't like that. Again, it's one of those things. I'm probably going to defend this movie a little bit more because I actually really like this movie. Oh, I do too. I just nitpick everything. (laughs) And I'm huge in Mortal Kombat. Like I've been in Mortal Kombat since I was a little kid. It's, It's one of those series that I appreciate very much. And I get nerded out on it a lot more than I do with a lot of other stuff. The markings, it's one of those things. They over-explained it. They probably didn't need to. 
the Markins are fine. Just like the way they got them is where I have the problem. But even then, I mean, it kind of helps for the Sonya Blade storyline because she's not a champion. She's not a chosen one. She's one of the only ones that actually kills like a terrible person to get it. He's not terrible. He's misunderstood. He's the most <laughs> charming person in this entire movie. So let me ask you that because he's probably the biggest character in this. Not by name, but by mouth. He, he definitely steals all the cool lines, all the cool scenes. Well, of Earth Realms characters, he's definitely the most charismatic, most uh, interesting one in here. I'm going to say Sub-Zero tops him as my favorite character of the entire movie. Definitely. But uh, Kano is a close second. And that's where the movie could have went wrong. Because if the Kano performance wasn't good, considering all the dialogue and all the one-liners that they gave him... Like, this movie could have fell flat on its face. But... Cole wasn't going to carry it, that's for sure. I was really surprised with how much I liked Kano. His one-liners are good. His, like, snappy comebacks. Like, his problem with everybody. Even when he gets his Akana, like, he's trying to make Kung Lao give him an egg roll. And just, like, his constant, like, snips and, like, little chirps that he has. Like, it works for him. And, you know, he did a good job. It's easy to see, though, why... They just had him and didn't bring Johnny Cage over because there would not have been enough dialogue for both him and Johnny Cage. I'd say him and Sub-Zero and Scorpion were the only ones that were perfectly cast for this. Jax was serviceable. He wasn't bad, but like his action sequences were kind of slow. Right. Like they picked a big muscular guy, but like his action sequences never really like wowed me like it wowed me what was happening to him when sub-zero started freezing his arms <laughs> but that wasn't a cool action sequence that was like almost a horror moment of his arms getting frozen and you could like see the blood curling up underneath his arms as it froze up and then just sub-zero shatters it and that was so damn cool but there wasn't a moment during that sequence where i was like that was some cool choreography because there wasn't any cool choreography same with his fight at the end against that uh what's his name uh I have them all written down. General Raiko, right? Yeah, Raiku. His fight against Raiku. Like yeah, you're right. You got that one right. It was slow. It was the worst fight of the entire movie was Jax versus Raiku. They, I, I had said that Michael Jai White might have been aged out of it, but we've seen nope. Michael Jai White in newer movies, and he was way the fuck faster than this Jax, so he didn't age out of it. They just went too young for some reason. Yeah, I still think Michael Jai White would have been perfect. Michael Jai White would have done better. This guy was serviceable. He wasn't terrible. Same goes with Sonya. I didn't hate her in this movie. She was definitely more capable of the action than Bridget Wilson was. Bridget Wilson brought the attitude so much better. I do like how they wrote this to Sonya's storyline, though. Uh, she definitely isn't just a damsel in distress in this one. No. She is... Very much more progressive and very much carrying her own weight throughout it. She kept her agency throughout the entire movie, and that's an improvement in the script, not so much the acting. I think time travel Bridget Wilson from 1995 to now, and she would have been able to do it way better. So I was going to do this at the end of the episode, but we're already into it, so I might as well get this out of the way. I have a list here of the characters that were in both movies, and I want to kind of go into what we think was better in the original and what we think was better in the 21. All right. So I'm going to start with someone who really doesn't have a lot of lines. Uh, we're going to start with Goro. Original Goro was way better. This Goro kind of sucked. I didn't like his voice. 
I, I which he barely used. He was only in for like one scene for or no, he was in. You know, you got his shadow for a second scene. He <laughs> didn't really do much except for activate Cole's sweater, and there was nothing to him. The original Goro, practical effects, kind of ridiculous looking, but it worked. Right. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I think original Goro definitely takes the cake. I don't like the way this Goro looks. I think with oh. the technology that we have now in 2021, that Goro should have looked way better than he did. In the trailer, I said he looked like shit. I was hoping that wasn't his final version, and it still looked like shit in the movie. Still looked awful. He fights Cole, which should have been the easiest fight of the whole movie, and he somehow loses. So you um, automatically lose your role as the best Goro just off of that alone. Exactly. So we just talked about him, Kano from the original, this one actually Australian in the 2021 version. See, this is the most difficult one to judge because the look of Kano in the 1995 version is superior with the metal plate on his face. And I actually do really like that Kano. He just doesn't have as much screen time. So it's mostly due to screen time. I'm going to have to defer to newer Kano because he had more time to develop. It's very close. And it's one of those where this Kano is really a main focus of the, this movie, whereas the original Kano is just kind of a role player. He was a, a role character in the actual movie. Like, he was just there to say, hey, look, we got Kano. And he is quirky or quirpy. He is good. His scene with Goro, like, hanging out is, is fantastic. I love it. But yeah, he doesn't get enough time to sell it. Right. So I think. Kano that we have in 2021 I think is a really good representation of the Kano that we get in the game maybe not costume and character wise but as far as attitude and moveset that he uses when he's fighting I think he nailed it I was really impressed I thought he was going to be bad and he surprised me a lot I remember you saying he was going to be one of the good guys and I thought you were an idiot and I still think you're an idiot after seeing this movie (laughs) I mean he was on the good guy team for a little bit Barely. <laughs> so we talked about her a little bit. I know you love the original. Uh, Sonya Blade. Bridget Wilson, 100%. I wish she had been given more time to do action sequences. It was more of a fault in uh, the fact that they had gone with Cameron Diaz, who would have been terrible in the role. And then she hurt herself and Bridget Wilson filled in last minute, so she didn't get all the training. So we got less action sequences from her. So I'll say new Sonya Blade is more action equipped, but attitude wise, I love Bridget Wilson. So I'm going to go Bridget Wilson because I love the attitude. Yeah, I'm kind of split on this one because you are right about the Bridget Wilson attitude and her interactions with Cage in the original movie are great. Like their back and forth is really good. She holds, you know, the Sonya Blade character really well throughout the entire movie. I do think that, what's her name, Jessica Magnamy does a really good job. I think she plays a strong Sonya Blade. She doesn't play Damsel Distress at any point, even when she's not allowed to train with, you know, the other champions or anything like that. She goes and helps Jax. She's a strong character throughout. I think she's acted well. The action is better. As much as I love Bridget Wilson, I'm going to give the edge to uh, Jessica Magnamy. <laughs> so this one... It's kind of a weird one to compare because it's way different than the original Reptile. Oh, I hate the new Reptile. That's it. <laughs> he, the, the games, <laughs> they started to, to make him more and more Reptile looking as the games progressed. And every single game that they did that, I played him less and less. He looks stupid as a Reptile. Make him 
have reptilian abilities, but I really don't like a green reptile. He looks like he came out of Godzilla's sack from the 1998 movie for the few seconds that we do see him. I hated it. I, I thought this was a stupid addition. I love that you said that because I have that in my notes and I have 1998 Godzilla question <laughs> mark. Um, I agree with you. Something about that scene in the original where Reptile gets his body with a green suit against Liu Kang is such a great scene. And I mean, the fight this time is cool. No, it is. Visibility effects. No, it is. Visibility effects look good. We have actors pretending they're fighting something that they can't see. And there's one point where Kano grabs him and is like, it looks goofy to me. It's not a cool (laughs) action sequence. I I wrote in my notes that this is where they should have put the downloadable content into the movie and had him fighting Predator instead. Because this (laughs) action sequence sucked. It's more of like a comedic one. Like they're throwing knives at it, the knives don't work. Sonya Blade throws a knife and stabs Kano with his own knife. Cole is useless. Cole has a wrench. Is that like he thinks that's his big plan? Is he's gonna pull out a wrench and he's just swinging at nothing? Sonya Blade is ridiculous in this. They have this whole slow motion. Throw me a knife. She does like this twir- twirling, <laughs> twirling hit it with the knife into reptile, and reptile just instantly smacks her away. The only good thing about this sequence is that Kano goes all Temple of Doom and Kali Ma's reptile and rips his <laughs> heart out. Other than that, that whole sequence sucked. And then he delivers the line, so you get... I love anytime we get traditional Mortal Kombat lines, so he rips the heart out and he gives you a little Kano wins. It doesn't work for me unless Sang Sung, original Sang Sung, is saying it. <laughs> All right, well, you brought Sig Sug up. That's out of my order, but oh well. Uh, this one seems pretty easy. Uh, original. Sig Sug. Original. Doesn't even need to be say. This guy has pretty hair, and that's about all of his characterization that he has. Um, let me go ahead and throw Raiden in here, too, because to me, this is the biggest difference between this movie and the original movie. Okay, I'm going to say I applaud them getting an Asian actor. He's not yes. bad. It's probably the smarter thing to do and be culturally respective. But nobody touches Christopher Lamb there. And honestly, this new Raiden's white eyes were a little bit much. They should have only been glowing when he was doing electricity shit. They didn't need to be white all the time. It looked like really bad Photoshop in every single sequence of them. Bring your eyes down. Calm yourself a little bit, Raiden. And here's a question I, I have about the new Raiden. Maybe you can answer this. He's a god. There's no reason for him to have an accent. Like, he should be able to speak each... Like, he could have gotten Australian accent. That would have been fine because there's an Australian <laughs> there. But there's no reason why he would have, like, a Chinese accent because he's a god. I would think he'd be able to speak every language exactly how he wants to do it. Yeah, but he spent more time in his life. Uh, he's in, a god. He's not. He's not. <laughs> he doesn't have a human brain. Like honestly, his voice is cool. It was just something I thought about. Like, why would a god have an, a Chinese accent when he's speaking English? <laughs> the biggest problem with this movie, and it's not a problem. It's just something. The original Shang Sun and the original Raiden just can't be touched. No. I applaud that they decided to go with an Asian Raiden. That's definitely the best decision they could have made. A white elder god with a bunch of Chinese people praying to him. Probably not the move. It wasn't then. It's definitely not now. Um, So I applaud them for going that direction. But neither of those guys have the character. Shang Tsung especially. He does a fine job. He's serviceable. But 
when you compare him to the original performance, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we did the original Mortal Kombat, like Shang Sun carries that movie. He is just the epitome of a bad guy. And we just never quite got that. I never got it from this new Shang Tsung. And honestly, sometimes he felt like he was doing a bad impression of the original Shang Tsung. I think I'm saying his name different every single time. <laughs> but you get the gist of it. So that's the biggest difference. And then on the flip side of that, we have Sub-Zero and Scorpion from the original and then Sub-Zero and Scorpion from the 2021 version. I was going to say we should group those together. New version, superior in every single way. Every possible way you can think of, they're better. Joe Taslam and uh, Hiroki Sonata are amazing. Like Their chemistry together when they're uh, working with each other is just top-notch. And they're seen at the beginning of the movie... It's the best scene in the entire movie. It shows what happened to Scorpion and his family. And it's brutal. And it's great. It, like, there are a couple too many cuts for my taste. But it still never cuts like a boring movie where like you're, you're not seeing the hits land. It's just you're seeing too many different angles on the hit when they should just focused a little bit more. But the action sequence that you saw there was awesome and honestly i like scorpion using he it looked like he got a gardening tool tied a rope around it and used that as a weapon i love improvised weapon and it's so much cooler when it's something that he's twirling around than something that he's thinking about and having it chase people there's skill involved with that little trowel tool and i love the hell out of it like, they released the scene before they released the movie, and I know why they did it, because it really is a perfect representation of Mortal Kombat. Like, action-wise, it's great for people that just want to see a good action movie, but for the Mortal Kombat nerds, like, they nailed almost everything in the scene perfectly. Like, I love the kunai. I love that it's, you know, they're using it as a tool, and he's throwing it like it's supposed to be thrown. It's not part of his hand yet. Like, I love that. I love that they're speaking Chinese and Japanese, and I like that the film... Like in the beginning only, not later on when they're talking, but in the beginning, they let you know that one of them is speaking Chinese and one of them is speaking Japanese. And like they referenced the Lin Kuei and the Shira Ryu, like from a Mortal Kombat nerd perspective, like that is just such a well executed 15 minutes. Oh yeah, exactly. It's so damn good with the action. And it's brutal. And there's some questions that I got from that scene. Because Sub-Zero comes in and brutally murders his family. Freezes him to death. Stabs his wife and his kid through the chest with an icicle. Or popsicles. Yeah, it looks horrible. And what's really cool is when you first see the ice effect on Sub-Zero's hand. Like, you see the blood ripping out of his hand. So, like, I don't think he was fully Sub-Zeroed yet. Like, he's he's still, like breaking out because you put your hand in that much cold your, your hand's gonna start like breaking you can see the skin breaking when he's doing that and i didn't notice that later on with him but although i think he might have been wearing gloves so maybe it was hiding it but he definitely saw it on jack's arms before they broke <laughs> he was feeling the effect and he was still doing the ice shit and then uh he murders the family good but then end of the movie he's fighting cole and he's done this he's frozen cole's family but there's no stabbing in their chest and i don't see why he would change his mo his family should have been dead i think he was just trying to bait cole he could have baited him with dead family do you think he'd go like oh my family's dead i'm not gonna fight you no the, that the reason the that reason was weak, that was, was weak writing right there i honestly thought is because he wasn't worried about cole 
and he thought he was he was playing with his food is how I interpreted it. Like he wasn't worried. He didn't think that we were going to get Hellfire Scorpion. I don't think he was expecting that to happen. And, you know, Scorpion and Sub-Zero, like the initial scene is great. But even the last scene that we get before Cole gets involved and ruins it, like <laughs> that scene is great. Everything like, against them was fucking great. When Sub-Zero makes his own sword out of the ice, I like lost it. Like I was watching it at home and I, I lost it. Like It was so just everything about it just screamed Mortal Kombat to me. The only thing that was weird, Scorpion's come from hell and he has the mask now. But the mask seems cumbersome because every single time he decides to talk, he takes the mask <laughs> off and puts back. Like, I don't know if the mask is really helping him out at this point. Like, just leave it off. We, we got your point. Come up from hell. Rip the mask off. Don't keep replacing it back and forth. It gets a little goofy after a little while. I'm glad that Joe Taslam signed on for two more movies. Um, I hope we get to see them because I think he, as Sub-Zero, is just absolutely amazing. I love almost everything he's done so far. So to have him as Sub-Zero was great. Oh, he was my favorite character the entire movie. And I noticed that uh, throughout the final fight, his armor comes off more and more to the point where he looks more like Noob Sabot than uh, Sub-Zero. I'm fully expecting him not to come back as Sub-Zero. Like his brother's probably going to take his part in the second movie. And then he's going to come back as Noob if they're going to do this right. But I don't think any of the bad guys that died are out of the realm of coming back because Shang Tsung says some Dark Tower shit and says death is just another <laughs> portal. I'm like, I'm 90% sure that all the cool characters that we saw, because we haven't even talked about Cabal. I love Cabal. Oh, he yeah, had, he had a perfect voice. His armor was great. Like, and he was really holding his own against Shang Tsung. I want Cabal in another movie. I want Kano in another movie. I want Goro to actually do well in another movie. <laughs> I, I really think that uh, Shang Tsung alluded to the fact that everybody that was killed from his side in this movie is coming back. So nerd fact here, and then we'll move on. You mentioned Noob Saibot. Do you know why he's named Noob Saibot? I cannot remember. I, I thought he was paired up when uh, the Lin Kuei started turning their people into cyborgs or something. He was the original Sub-Zero, and then the second Sub-Zero was turned into a cyborg, and he was like teaming up with his brother in some way, but I don't know why Noob Cybot. So the name Noob Cybot is literally just Ed Boon and John Tobias's name backwards. <laughs> Oh, I was going for like, I was trying to go into the mythology. <laughs> you were pretty close with the mythology, so I'll, I'll just let that stand. But yeah, his name, when they were coming up with it, was literally just their last names uh, spelled backwards. Like I, I've been going deep into mythology, mostly YouTube shit lately. And I've been finding out that my favorite character may not be the best character in the Mortal Kombat games. Because I love Raiden, probably heavily influenced off of uh, Christopher Lambert. But I'm watching the mythologies on this shit. And Raiden's fucking up left and right the entire game. He's not great. <laughs> he kills Liu Kang at some point on accident. Like Earthrealm would do better if Raiden had a lighter touch or just kind of kept his ass out of it. <laughs> like he's doing so much bad shit he still has a cool hat though his hat's cooler than kung lao's i'm gonna say that right here put that on record bold statement but kung lao's hat gave us probably the best fatality in the movie 100 percent the best death in the entire movie although the fight was like 10 seconds Stupid. long yeah and it's a dumb character i forget uh her name Natara. i can't it up. I, I wrote i wrote all the verses just in case we needed it and it, it was Kung Lao versus Natara. I don't even remember her from the game. She's from one of the, the stupid games, like Armageddon and all the other nonsense ones. The ones that really don't count. They all and count. She's like a weird 
weird, a weird vampire, and I, I hate vampires. This is stupid. It's, she's a stupid character. I'm glad she got her head head split in half. It wasn't just her head. Kung Lao summons his hat from the wall, and he spins it really fast on the floor like a buzzsaw, and then he rides Natara sexually into the fucking buzzsaw and just splits her entirely in half. Which could have yeah. been taken another way the way I set that up. <laughs> no, it, it's such a great kill. Um, his character didn't really do too much aside from that kill. Well, he, he kind of lamely trash-talked Kano. That was cool. <laughs> and that's really all he does. And that's really all his character got. I'm curious if he'll come back. Kung Lao's got all sorts of crazy stories and ways they could work him back into it. So I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he finds his way back in. I mean, like, Johnny Cage went to heaven and came back in the game series. Like, weird shit can happen if they go off the mythology that we've gotten. Uh, explain his entrance to me, because it didn't make any sense. Kung Lao's hat stopped Sub-Zero from killing Liu Kang, who... I don't think we went too much into him, but, thanks, but Liu Kang's kind of too submissive and meek in this movie for me. Like, yeah, He knew how to do the action, but his acting was not badass at all. Isn't no, it? not at all. Especially compared to Robin Chow. I would have liked him a little bit more if he at least could bring in some of those Bruce Lee mannerism or Bruce Lee afflections with it. But he doesn't do any of that shit. He, he keeps his voice like low the entire movie. It was my problem with Robin Chow, but Robin Chow at least had a little bit more energy behind it. This guy is sleepwalking through the whole entire thing and then just like the martial arts scenes happen. He does a good job, but he's not selling it with any charisma. So he's got one of my favorite scenes in the movie, though, and that's just the Mortal Kombat cheese in me. When they're doing the training to help these guys find oh, their Oh, I know what you're talking about. And he's out there, and he's helping Kano train, and they square up right in front of each other, and he does the sweep kick, and Kano like, gets up. He's like, ah, ha, 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 lucky kick, na, na, na. And then immediately, <laughs> Liu Kang does it again, and then they stand back up. He's like, oh, you're not going to do that again, and he immediately trips him again. And it's so reminiscent of the game and just spamming one move over and over while it's working. It's so funny to me that they added that in there. No, that's the way I played because I was never good with the combos except for like Scorpion's uh, sphere, Radiant's like lightning dash across the screen, and I could do uh, Liu Kang's bicycle kick only after it done the round whatever fight. I could rev it up for that. I could never <laughs> rev it up during an actual fight though. Being the nerd, did you see that they had Sub-Zero's combo written on the wall when he ripped off Jack's arms? I did not notice it. Okay, when you go back and rewatch it, if you rewatch it before uh, it's taken off HBO Max, in that scene where he's freezing Jack's arm and ripping him off, there's the button combo, the downright left punch or light punch, and uh, it's just written on the wall in like graffiti, which is like the original combo for him to throw his ice ball. Okay, that's pretty cool. His ice powers were utilized so well in this. The only thing was his willingness to use it seemed to change because, like, when Jax is going up against him early on in the movie, Jax followed him into like a warehouse or something. Doesn't really matter what kind of building it is, and like the whole entire place is iced up in seconds. Like it, it proves that if Sub Zero wanted to, he could just ice everybody in the fucking room in five seconds and be done with this whole thing. <laughs> how'd you like his earth realm entrance where he's coming out of the smoke and he's making it snow just like over the diner and then he lifts up like all the snow and ice and kind of throws it 
this is one of the parts where his, his powers were kind of dumb. Because as soon as they get in the into the car, it's just like he's throwing snowballs at them. <laughs> right, like when they're outside, it looks like he's like throwing little like ice daggers at them. And then when they get in the car, they're just banking off the truck like soft snowballs. Like he's able to do badass shit with his power but occasionally he fucks up as soon as he enters the temple against Liu Kang Liu Kang fires a fireball at him the fireball misses and then he hits Liu Kang but he hits him with a snowball so Liu <laughs> Kang's just fine he's just a little wet and I was a little bummed out because it looked like we were going to get an ice ball so it looks like that was going to hit and it was going to like freeze Liu Kang and no it just kind of blops him yeah he falls down a little bit I, I mean everybody would fall down with a little impact from a snowball but they'd be just fine like Five-year-olds have survived what Liu Kang just had happen to him. <laughs> so, Liu Kang, better in the original or better in the remake? We didn't go over this. Robin Shao fucking killed it in the original. He was 100%. amazing. Like, the original is cheesy, kind of goofy, but none of that was his fault. I enjoy the original a lot. Just none of the faults were on him. And this one, a lot of the faults fall onto Liu Kang's performance. It's just his performance is really flat. Yeah. Like he doesn't really he doesn't have enough emotion. He doesn't have enough passion. Like even when Kung Lao dies, like yeah, he's sad, but it doesn't look like he's genuinely bothered by it. Like even the scream that he lets out is super lame. I don't know. I just he's one of the few characters that I really disliked. He could have sold it. And he was like, "No!" Like a high-pitched Liu Kang kind of scream, but so he's like, "No." Yeah, because even when he does his dragon fatality, like, at no point does he... We didn't mention the dragon fatality till now. His fight against Cabal was so great. That was... I love that shit. Redeemed Liu Kang a little bit. Go on. Go ahead. Even in that scene, though, I mean, it looks awesome, and that whole fight is good. I'm a huge Cabal fan. I thought, like, from a spot-on character perspective, Cabal's probably almost spot-on to the game, so I respect them for that. And I like that they put him in it because he's not a huge character in the universe. I liked his voice so much because you look at him and you expect something more demonic, more deep. And then he just has like almost a Cockney-like accent going on with it. And it worked. Yeah, no, definitely. And that fight's great. But even in the fatality, I mean, we get the dragon fatality. It looks awesome. Um, the dragon didn't eat him in half. It just kind of set him on fire and he burned to death, uh, which isn't bad, but... It's better, than, it's better than the animalities that we got in Annihilation. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, even then, Liu Kang didn't really sell it for me. Like, he was mad. He was like, this was his big, like, fight. This is his big point of the movie. And, like, he gets to that point of the fatality where he's summoning the dragon. And it's just very, it looks cool, but it feels flat. Yeah. No, I'm not going to agree with that Agree with that because that, that scene I was full on board for. <laughs> I was kind of like drifting there for a second, but no, that scene was awesome. Liu Kang sold that. It was one of his few good scenes that he did. So no, I'm going to full on disagree with you there. He's also like for a skinny guy, like one of the buffest skinny guys I've ever seen. He, well, he's not a skinny guy. He's still a buff guy. He's just not Robin Shao, uh build and it's mostly because robin shaw was looked like he, i i didn't look up his his actual height but they portrayed him as being like tall and buff and uh this guy was just like he looked smaller but i think it was just his personality made him seem smaller <laughs> uh, yeah i guess that could have been it i never thought of that yeah robin shaw is six foot so that would make sense why he seemed bigger and more imposing uh, do you have how, how tall this new guy is uh, I do not. I pulled up Cole Young on accident. Uh, Cole Young, six foot two, worth of uselessness. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, he's 5'10", so no, he's a little bit shorter, but not uh, not too much. He just looks very small to me. He, played he looks the- like a Power Ranger. He played a Power Ranger. That's what I learned in my research. Really? And uh, he acts like he's a Power Ranger. But not not one of the good Power Rangers, like the after Power Rangers. What Ranger was he? What color? Do you know? I can't tell you. If Terrible. it was the original Power Rangers, you would be able to tell. But the way they redid it, once it became less racist, uh, you can't tell. <laughs> oh, I get what you're saying there. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else we're missing on this? Anything that's important? So we haven't given up too much details of the plot, although there isn't much plot. There's a disappointing lack of tournament in this. Did, what did you think of that? I think it's all just to build up the sequel. I think this movie is made with the full intention that they're going to get a sequel. You can see it in a lot of the character development. You can see it in the overall story arc that they're kind of setting up, preparing for the tournament. So you would hope that the sequel, if we get one, is going to be very tournament heavy. I think we'll get a, a sequel. The tournaments we, we mentioned earlier, I love tournament movies. I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get anything from the tournament in this one but about at the halfway point i realized it's not fucking happening yeah it it didn't ruin the movie for me but uh it was definitely not the movie that i expected it to be yeah it was definitely more story than it needed to be and the story that they chose to go with was not the correct choice the cole young story is a story that nobody wanted like casual casuals won't enjoy it. People that know nothing about Mortal Kombat aren't going to enjoy this stupid Cole Young story. People that really love Mortal Kombat are definitely going to hate Cole Young because he's he's garbage. He's an awful character. I hope if they do the sequels, I know they set up that he's going to go find Johnny Cage in, this, in the next one. I'm hopeful they get a good actor for that. That's definitely where the biggest problem with the movie is. Um, there's a lot of good things that this movie did. Oh um, yeah, action sequences were cool. Yeah, the action sequences were great. I agree with most of the character choices. I think the looks of most of the characters are pretty spot on. Obviously, there's some issues with a couple of characters, but you know, overall cast-wise, I liked the cast. I think that it was a well-chosen cast. Whoever's idea was to make Joe Taslim Sub-Zero deserves a raise because he is everything he, I would ever want in a Sub-Zero. He killed this movie. He like in a good way. Like he, he if it wasn't for him, I I don't know if I would have liked this movie as much as I did. Yeah, well, and same thing with Scorpion. Uh, Hiroyuki Sonata was oh, yeah. great as Scorpion. So, I mean, them too. And I said it when we recorded the original Mortal Kombat. A Mortal Kombat movie should have a lot of Sub-Zero and a lot of Scorpion. And this one definitely does. This one has two just amazing, amazing scenes where it's Sub-Zero versus Scorpion. And those are really the highlight of the film. Yeah, but it's not a lot of Scorpion. You get, you get a decent amount of Sub-Zero, but Scorpion's kind of sparse. And for me in the game, I was... When I wasn't playing Raiden or Liu Kang, I was Scorpion. But those are my top three that I always play were those three characters. Oh, I couldn't even get Katana in the movie. I was all excited to see Katana, and instead I got this weird Melina. Yeah, Melina, I didn't hate her. Her design was interesting in that she always looked like she slothfully ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that was kind of cool, but... uh. There wasn't much to her. There was a lot of reverb for one scene, and then the yeah. reverb died in another. I, I really don't understand what was going on with it. They redid a lot of her appearance and kind of how she presented uh, once they got the actor to do it. So apparently they had written her completely different, 
And then once they got the actor, uh, ooh, was, uh, Sissy Stringer, uh, once she signed on to be Molina, she apparently signed on and demanded all these changes. She said she didn't want any sort of, you know, provocative costume like the original Molina had. She said she didn't think that she should wear a mask. So that's why she had the scars instead of the, the mask that she always traditionally had. That's a problem, though, because, like, I'm, I'm fine with the final look, but she should like, not the provocative clothes. I understand that we're in a more progressive time. No issues there. But she should have had a mask before she revealed her weird mouth. Right. And even the way they revealed the weird mouth, I mean, it doesn't look cool. Like, it could have been a cooler scene, like, with, like, her scars, like, ripping apart and then getting, like, the full effect. I mean, because it could have been done right. It just, everything was just, again, a little, little flat with her. Okay, we're getting close to the end here, but I got to talk about OutRealm. What the fuck was with it? Everything was outside. There was one scene where, where Shang Tsung was dirty as hell, and another scene where he's just sitting on his realm. It, it felt like there was a, a good portion of like a conquering movie of OutRealm that happened and was cut to pieces. Yeah, it's weird how they keep cutting to it because they don't really show anything in any of the cuts. Um, and they mention it loosely a couple of times, like different characters mention what's going on in Outworld, but they never actually show anything. You do see a Shao Kahn, like a ginormous statue. Oh, I thought that was that... a Goro statue. I saw multiple arms. No, no, it's a Shao Kahn, the huge one when they're out in the desert getting dirty. It's like a ginormous building. That's a Shao Kahn. And then they have, a... yeah, there's a lot of like cool little Easter eggs. So again, for the nerds, um, they did a good job, you know, appeasing the nerds. Um, they have a lot of like Katana's fans in there when they're in the Temple of Light, uh, Shinnok's amulets in there, like just a bunch of stuff that only nerds are going to pick up on. Um, but they did a good job sprinkling, like saying, hey, we know about Mortal Kombat and we want you guys to know that we know about Mortal Kombat. In the games, does Outworld have roofs? Because they never were indoors the entire time. He's on a throne outside, which just seemed impractical, like... What if it's hot outside? It didn't look like it was like a good environment. They could build roofs, I would think. He's a sorcerer. He should be able to like build some roofs so that he could like not break out in sunburns and get skin cancer. Honestly, when I think Outworld, I think outside for that exact reason. Um, because most of the games, like they're they have like a Roman Colosseum type of area. Yeah, but um, there's roofs in those. Like you can get some shade. The Colosseum doesn't have a roof. Coliseums have roofs. Like there's a roof. The Coliseum does not there, have a roof. There's roofs overall, but if you're going like behind the stadium, there's roofs behind the seats. Outworld's a lot of like open air marketplaces and stuff like that. It's a lot of like weird farmers markets and just big outdoor buildings. So that didn't bother me at all. They could you pull know, up some and stuff. They're, they're they hardly could, ever inside. They could pull up some Outworld canopies or something. Like there, there is no <laughs> need for this. It's just seemed, easy up it, just seemed, it just seemed needlessly uncomfortable to me. I'd imagine that's something that we'll get in the sequel too. We'll probably get oh, a lot of canop- Outworld. I hope we get a lot of canopies in Outworld in the sequel. <laughs> no, we're going to get a lot of Outworld. I'd imagine we're going to get Shao Kahn or hopefully you know, Kahn we get- or something like that. One of those like big bad guys. Hopefully we get a Shao Kahn that can fucking act because Annihilation Shao Kahn is terrible. <laughs> Yeah, that is awful. Everything about Annihilation is awful for the most part. Okay. Are, are we are we ready to give our ratings at this point? Yeah, I think so. I think I've gotten rid of most of my nerd facts. Okay, is the new Mortal Kombat a bloody good film? 
I have a feeling I'm going to rate this higher than you. Um, I've been reading a lot of people review this movie online, and it seems like it's getting a lot of hate. And I don't fully understand it, because I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I don't want to say start to finish, because there's some parts of this movie that suck. Um, anything with Cole sucks. Anytime Cole's on the screen, I'm upset. I'm mad that we have 60 characters we could have chosen, and we decided to make a new one. And the one we made isn't a cool you know, assassin or monk or anything like that. It's just some stupid UFC fighter that sucks. Like, everything about it, dude. I hate Cole. Um, his family sucks. He sucks. His fight with Goro sucks. Like, he doesn't do anything. Um, but when you get away from him, Sub-Zero and Scorpion are great. Joe Taslam, I would say, carries this movie. Him and Scorpion are amazing. He does a good job. The fatalities are great. You know, Sub-Zero ripping off Jax's arms is one of, like, those iconic scenes that I'm always going to remember when I think of this movie. The little stuff like stabbing uh, Scorpion, turning the blood into a knife, um, just stuff like that. The way the kunai looks when Scorpion's using it, when he's slinging it around, he like throws it over his head through this bad guy's face. Like stuff like that is great. Um, even the Sonya Blade, like the purple rings, like when she shoots directly through the stomach, like that looked really cool. The rings look dumb, but the actual like effects and everything look cool. I- I'm all for it, man. It was violent. Kung Lao's odd job hat with the buzzsaw was amazing. There's just so much about it that I like. Uh, Raiden and Shang Tsung are probably the biggest letdowns along with Liu Kang. I don't know if that's because the bar was set so high or as high as a movie of Mortal Kombat's caliber could be. Um, but it's definitely not the two originals. There's not enough charisma there. Um, if you're going to be a bad guy like Shang Tsung and make him the main bad guy of the movie, um, he's got to have a little bit more charisma and same thing with Raiden. Um, but I liked Kano. I thought I was going to hate him. Everything with him involved. I enjoyed, um, a lot of the storylines, a little wonky. Some of the plots, the Akana is kind of weird. How they pick the champions is kind of weird, but I can overlook all of that just because how much I enjoyed the fight scenes. Um, most of the fight scenes I enjoyed, it was gory. It was bloody. It was funny. Like it knew it was a video game movie and I love when they embrace it. It had the one liners. It had kind of the video game cheese to it. Um, I loved it. Um, I'm going to say it's a bloody good film. I don't think I'm going to rate this that terribly actually, because one thing people should know about me, I'm very much a pessimistic person. So I tend to pick on the negatives instead of embracing the positives, but I did really love most of this movie. Yes, Raiden's eyes needed to calm the fuck down. Yes, Shang Tsung was too busy being a Maybelline girl instead of uh, instead of being menacing. And yes, Jax's fights kind of sucked, but uh, there's so much good in this movie. Like Cole sucked too. Cole was useless. I don't know why they went with somebody we never heard of before. But Stupid. most of the action sequences were really cool regardless. Kung Lao needed more characterization, but he had the coolest death in the movie. And despite the fact that everybody's poking fun at the hat, the hat buzzsaw thing is so damn cool. Kung Lao deserved awesome. more screen time. He could have he could have been a, a character to rival Sub-Zero in awesomeness with his power. But Sub-Zero, they utilized his power more. They were faster about it. It was more fluid with his power than what we got in the first movie. Uh, Liu Kang kind of meh. I didn't really care for him in this. But uh, Kano was cool. The story was more interesting despite the fact that uh, there wasn't a tournament that I would have loved. I, I'm going to honestly say this, and I, I, I feel weird to say, I think this was a better film than the original. 100%. So there are a lot of flaws, but there are a lot of flaws in the original. But this 
came more to tone in the action and the violence that we expect from Mortal Kombat. And despite the fact that story-wise, I think the original one is better. Execution-wise, this one is the better film, despite the fact that we do not have Christopher Lambert as Raiden to help ground the film. I think that's what really would have pushed it over the edge into, into being just amazing. But I'm going to say... This is a bloody great film. I'm not, I'm not even going down to bloody good. This is a bloody great film. I had fun. I've watched it three times, and it, it held up every single time. There definitely are issues, but the issues do not undercut the things that really work, and that's the blood and violence and creativity and some of the kills. Yes, some of them could. Have, some of the action sequences could have been better, but none of them kill it for me. And it got what I wanted in a Mortal Kombat film. 90% of the way just needed the tournament. Well, and that's the thing. Like a lot of people are still saying that the original movie is better. And I think a lot of that's just nostalgia. Like we've watched these, you know, kind of back to back with the Annihilation and the original Mortal Kombat. And then this one, like, yeah, nostalgia plays a good part of it. But the thing that we wanted when we wanted the original Mortal Kombat and we watch it now is we appreciate the cheesiness of it, but we wish it was more violent. And I think what this movie does so well is it keeps the cheesiness and it just ups the violence to a whole nother level. And that's kind of what puts it over the top. Like when I'm ranking my Mortal Kombat movies, like to me, this is the best Mortal Kombat movie that we've had so far. Oh, for sure. Like I love the original, but the action sequences are so damn slow. Action's what's important to me in Mortal Kombat. So having slow action sequences for the majority of the fights, with maybe like the exception of the reptile fight, doesn't sell me. So this one won on the principles of what matter in Mortal Kombat, which is the combat. And I guess the mortals, but uh, the original had the better story. This one has better everything else, except for Cole, and it doesn't have Raiden. Cole should have been in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That's where he belongs. Exactly. All right, what are we going to be watching next week? All right, Josh. Next week we're doing a horror thriller. I guess you can call it. I guess maybe musical. I know you talked earlier how much you like music. We're doing Green Room. Hell yeah. Movie about some skinheads at a concert. Some punk rock. Yep, a lot of punk rock. Some murder. Some very violent murder. And our band gets trapped in the aptly named green room. With Sir Patrick Stewart. My British accent. Make it so. (laughs) With Patrick Stewart. So prepare yourself for all of the Josh Star Trek knowledge that he's been saving up for this exact moment. Uh, Imogen Poots is in it. Anton Yelchin. Should be fun. Should be a good watch. A lot to talk about on that one. Tune in next week as we watch Green Room. Time to roll the credits. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Bloody Good Film Podcast to stay up to date with everything podcast related and to let us know what you think about some of these films that we watch each and every week. As always, big thank you to Soul Grinder for our intro and outro. If you haven't yet, make sure you guys go give their pages a follow at Soul Grinder Official and at Merrowgate. For myself and Josh, this has been the Bloody Good Film Podcast. And remember, be booty buddies. I'm not alone.